Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Russ and Kim Klein. Well, I have the esteemed honor of introducing our guest speakers. And if any of you have been around Victory for any length of time, you're not strangers to this house. And I have a little note from Pastor Brian. I know he wishes he could be here, but maybe he doesn't. He looks like he's having a good time. <laughs> but this is from Pastor Brian. Tonight, we have the great privilege of welcoming God's friends and ours, Russ, Kim, and Shekinah Klein. As many of you know, the Kleins came into our lives 22 years ago, and the Holy Spirit knit them to our hearts. The Kleins are seasoned prophetic ministers that the Lord has used all over the world to love, equip, and strengthen the body of Christ. They are lovers of God and lovers of people. I want to share a few personal things concerning the clients before we invite them into the pulpit tonight. So you're in trouble. My wife and I see Jesus in the clients. They are humble, joyful, and powerful people. They carry the Father's heart, the grace of Jesus, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Throughout decades of ministry, they have kept their hearts fresh. I love the way Russ loves his wife and daughter. I love the way Kim shines with Russ. They are tremendous parents and ministers of the gospel. Their daughter, Shekinah, is a beautiful example for this generation. Like her parents, she has become a mighty voice for God. Tonight, it's our greatest, great privilege to welcome back to victory Russ, Kim, and Shekinah Klein. Let's all give them a hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you all. You can be seated. Wow. How do you follow that? Huh? Uh, we, we love Brian and Brynn so much and, and Victoria and Josiah. It's great to be with you all. Thank you for letting us come and, and join you all. Stand. There we go. Back one. Okay. I understand that you all have had an interesting month. How's it been uh, not having mom and dad in the house? When mom and dad is away, the you've been you've behaved. Uh, wonderful. Well, it is it is great being uh, with you all again. We got, of course got to see you all. What was it? January, February, when life was somewhat normal, and now here we are. But uh, it's it's been a wonderful time uh, since we've seen you. Uh, we like you have gone through all the ups and downs and the wonderings and the breakthroughs and all the other stuff. So. For us, we actually have been home longer this time than probably in 34 years of ministry. 
So uh, the first week of March, I was in Michigan, flew home from a ministry meeting there, and we were not away from home again until about three or four weeks ago. Um, and, and so we had to cancel some meetings we had. Actually, we were supposed to be preaching Pentecost weekend in Paris. How many of you think life on the road is tough? <laughs> Pentecost weekend in Paris. But it uh, didn't happen. And Shekinah and I were actually, we were supposed to be in the Philippines and Japan this November, but postponing that to another time. But God has been faithful, and like many people, we've been forced into doing online ministry, something we should have done a long time ago. But um, our home church in Hampton, Virginia, they, they blessed us. They came, and they actually hired me for six weeks. And they had extra money. The government had given small businesses. And so we began developing an online ministry, and we were doing teachings we call Life in the Spirit, we did some prophetic uh, mentoring meetings through Zoom and uh, learning that. Just so a lot of different things that God has been doing. But we've been back on the road for, what, about three weeks, four weeks now, I guess. Um, so we, we left Hampton, Virginia, went to Missouri where our families live. Kim's dad's in Kansas City area and my mom in Springfield, Missouri. So got a chance to see our families and do ministry out there. Then we just drove in yesterday from Monroe, Louisiana. By the time uh, the hurricane got to us, it was down to a Category 1, which I know for Floridians is nothing, right? But uh, anyway, so, you know, lost power for a day and trees down, but, you know, the grace of God kept us. And so we are here after driving about 14 and a half hours yesterday to be with you all. But we're so excited for what God is, is doing um, here at Victory and, and, of course, with Brian and Bren and, and I, I would say the kids, but you guys are both adults now. Which I, you know, Shekinah is an adult too. But I, you know, how many of you know we don't we don't uh, follow government? Government's got to follow us, right? And I don't care if the government says 18's an adult. I, you're not an adult till Dad says you're an adult, right? <laughs> anyway, Shekinah has now graduated from homeschool high school. Um, so she, when she was in uh, her senior year of homeschool high school, she would uh, jokingly ask for a senior discount, you know. Because me and Kim can get senior discounts now. That's that's unsettling. We're 50, we're 57 years old. I mean, I don't think we're quite seniors yet. But anyway, um, we we are, are looking forward to all that God has for us today. So while we've been uh, traveling and ministering, God has continued to to move and operate. And and the girls are going to share some things that God has been doing, some uh, ways that God has been moving. I think uh, as well as scripture or something. God's put on your heart. So I'm going to get out of the way, give the microphone to the girls for a few minutes. But again, thank you for being here with us tonight. Um, we actually are in Florida for a couple weeks. We're supposed to leave on September the 19th, that Saturday, to drive back to Virginia. So who knows, we might show up for the celebration. Have to see what happens with that. But anyway. First of all, I want to say it's really great being here. I know I say that every time, but I really love you guys. Thank you. Um, so a few weeks ago, we had the honor to preach at a parking lot drive-in service, which, by the way, that's kind of cool in itself. You know, all of the cars lined up and honks for amen. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> but um, while we were there, towards the end of service, we were praying for people. And because of COVID, not many people actually came out of their cars to the front. So there was only about three people up there. Now, um, I felt the Lord tell me that there was someone there whose esophagus needed healing and that God wanted to heal it. 
I'm not sure about you guys, but I don't really hear many people go around talking about their esophagus. So I was honestly kind of scared to give the word because I wasn't sure if anyone would actually get out of their car and take that leap of faith. But I told the congregation, and the lady standing directly in front of me, she said that that was her. A week prior, she had had a stroke, and it paralyzed her esophagus, where she could barely swallow. And so I prayed for her, and that precious woman, she had tears streaming down her face the rest of the service. Um, as of yet, we have not um, heard any updates on that woman, but we are praying and believing that she is miraculously healed and that this can, and that this can be a testimony to other people around her. Now, before I give the mic to my mom, I'm going to hog it for a minute longer. Um, I felt the Lord tell me a couple of verses to share with y'all. Um, the first verse is John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, the second verse that God put on my heart is Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I think that this year has been scary and interesting for all of us. And whether you are scared um, of this whole thing or whether you're completely tired of this whole thing, whether you are um, really in need of people or whether you kind of liked being a hermit and staying inside, whatever your feelings are on the matter, this year has been scary. It's been confusing. It's been unknown. And I feel like God is trying to say to us through these verses that even though the unknown is scary, even though this virus is scary, even though the future is scary, that he has everything under control, right. that he is still holding you in his hands, that he still is guiding your path. And so right now I pray that any fear that's trying to grab a hold of you will dissipate and that it will know that this is a woman or a man of God and it has no right in your life. And I ask that peace will flow over you and not just flow over you, but fill you up and pour out of you to other people around you. So remember, take that to heart, that God still has everything under control, even whenever things seem crazy. Uh, my, my little girl is growing up and I watched as little Victoria is growing up too. My goodness. Who knew these young ladies are going to be up there sharing the word of God like that? So God is so good. In fact, you know, we were singing a song earlier about, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. Let me look like you. And you're so, you know, we were singing about how wonderful the Lord is. And I found myself as we were worshiping saying, Lord, I just want to be like you. I want to be like you. And he reminded me of something that was kind of interesting. Um, as, as Victoria called us while we were driving our 14 and a half hours in the car, she called us to see if, you know, about the hotel room and all that stuff. And at first I thought it was Bryn. It sounded just like Bryn. And 
at first it kind of confused me a little bit. And, you know, it kind of made me think. As you, she's grown up with her parents, and she's starting to look and sound like her parents. And that's kind of the way we are. And Josiah, we walked into the restaurant, and I'm thinking, my goodness, you are looking like your dad. And even some of his little words that he said during lunch, I had to just smile because I'm thinking, okay, that is Brian right there. And yet, see, he's been in the presence of his parents. And you know what? He's starting to look and he's starting to act like his parents. How many of y'all want to start looking and acting like Jesus? We've been in his presence, and the longer we are in his presence, the longer we get as close as we can to his heart and see his smile and hear his words in our ears, the more we're going to start looking and acting like him. And I really, I thought that was kind of interesting how the Lord just brought that to me during worship as I was sitting there. But God has been doing some interesting things. As Russ said, our ministry schedule has been very wacko the last few months. We have traveled full time for 34 years, but all of a sudden we were absolutely staying at home since the very beginning of March. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. And so there we are at home, but God has opened up many kind of doors that were quite interesting and quite different for us actually and actually Russ has got really good about preaching on the internet now and that's something because we are since we're so old we don't understand the technology stuff and so now that we are you know we had to do it so now we kind of understand a little better and so well God has done so many incredible things but one thing was this um, we ended up actually attending some services without actually ministering there, which is very strange for us. And so we were just a few weeks ago, um, we went in and we were attending a service. We were just attending a service, but what was crazy was this, God gave me two wildly prophetic dreams a few hours before we arrived at service, but it wasn't our service. It's not like I can just go up there and just take the microphone and say, hey, this is what God says. You know, it wasn't our service. We weren't booked there that day. We're just sitting out there in the congregation, and yet the pastor, you know how pastors do this. They see another minister out there, and they say, oh, Brother Russ, why don't you come up here and pray for the congregation? Well, I figured we are one, so I just followed him right up there. So, and I took the microphone. And so this, I, and Russ says, I, I guess Kim has something to say. <laughs> you know, I wasn't asked up there, but I followed. And so I got up there, and I started sharing the two dreams that God had just given me a few hours before we arrived at the service. And I'm thinking, this is kind of new territory for me where it's not our service and we don't have real the freedom to do that, but yet God made a way. And the first dream was this, which I thought was pretty, pretty wild. I had seen somebody in the congregation, and they had been praying where their heart just felt like it was just being poured out and broken over the country of Mexico, and that there was some corruptness in the government that was trying to do an awful thing. But God says, I've heard your prayers in the night, and I will do what you've asked me to do in Mexico. Now, you, when you have a specific word like that, you're either very right or very wrong. 
And that's where you have to step out in faith. I guess that we have been ministering in the prophetic long enough that I just take a deep breath and I just share it. If God gives me something, I share it. There have been many times over the years that the Lord has even given me a name, even a weird name that I've never heard of before, and nobody responds. And I stand up there looking like an idiot. I don't know. I mean, maybe um, you've never experienced this before. But then afterwards, you know what happens? They come up to me. You know, I was just a little too embarrassed to come up, but that is my name. And I'm thinking, will you pray for me now? And I'm thinking, are you kidding? <laughs> but this day a few weeks ago, as soon as I said this, this gentleman from the back just runs up the center aisle of the church. He's just crying. His name is Bernie. And Bernie is in Global Teen Challenge. You know what Teen Challenge is? But he's in the branch of the Teen Challenge that's global, that has all the different church or all the different Teen Challenges in different nations. And Bernie comes running up and he says, This lady hears from God. He was so sweet about that. This lady hears from God. You better listen to this, Kim. She hears from God. And he starts telling, he goes, I have been up all night long because the government in Mexico is trying to confiscate our property. And it's a very illegal thing that they are trying to do. They're trying to take the property for Teen Challenge away in the city in Mexico. And I have been up all night praying and saying, Lord, do something. Make it where the government can't take the land away in Mexico. And I thought, wow, God, that is so cool. I love it when God does something like that. In fact, I think that is where we should be. We should be like those little kids in a candy store. Maybe you have been ministering for years and decades. But when God does something cool like that, we should say, wow, God, isn't that awesome? It shouldn't get be old hat. Well, then the other, the other um, dream that I had had a few hours before the service was this. I had seen a woman there, and I had seen that there was this ugly growth on her right ovary. I mean, I could see it, and I, I mean, this growth on her right ovary, and it was almost tangling up with some other things there, so there was some really bad stuff going on with that. But I realized that that could be a little embarrassing for a woman, and so I said, okay, why don't you come to me after the service, just come to me, and I will pray with you. Well, after the service, this lady came up, and her name was Amy. And Amy tells me this. She says, for two years, I have had this growth on the right ovary that has caused so much pain and agony and so much hemorrhaging that my life has just been stopped for two years. She says, I'm so much pain. And this morning when I woke up, I was in more pain than I have ever been in those two years. I was doubled over and I couldn't stand up straight. And so I asked my husband, I said, you know, I am absolutely can't even standing up straight. I am in so much pain and agony, but I feel like I'm supposed to go to church today. If you will help me get out to the car, I'm going to go to church and we can just sit on the back row because I can't sit up. And so this was what Amy is telling me up there in the front. And so I began to pray for Amy, this lady. And I knew God was going to do it. God doesn't just give a dream like that and not do it. And so I prayed, but I prayed. I found myself praying a kind of an unusual prayer. At first I said, Lord Jesus, 
I ask you to touch Amy and take away that growth on her right ovary right now. And all that pain and all the hemorrhaging that's been going on, Lord, I ask you to take care of it all. And over the next week, let her see day by day such a progress within a week. Let it all be gone and let her be totally free from this agony she's been going through for two years. And normally I would just pray for an instantaneous healing. I don't know why I didn't. I just felt like I was supposed to pray that way. Well, I got a hold of Amy, and do you know, she says, as soon as you prayed that prayer, all the bleeding stopped. <laughs> and then she said, all that pain, all of a sudden I could stand up straight and I could breathe. It was going. And over this next week, every day it got a little better. I was scheduled for surgery the following week. And I started asking. I said, you know, Amy, I said, who's your doctor and what has he said about this? He says, well, my doctor is a man named Stan Yates. And I thought, what a divine setup. That is the doctor that delivered Shekinah. He is the doctor that asked us, when he heard the testimony of Shekinah years before she was conceived, he came up to Russ and I, and he said this, would you give me the honor of delivering your Shekinah when she comes? And so this is the doctor that is working with Amy. She went ahead and went into surgery. I think they really should have tested her beforehand, but they went, she went into surgery, and Dr. Stan opened her up, and there was no growth whatsoever on the right ovary. <laughs> all pain, all bleeding, and no growth. He said, all I did was I just cleaned up some scar tissue, and you are good to go, Amy. There's nothing there. You know, God is a good God. He can do that. But I tell you what, Amy feels like that princess of God right now because she knows God hears her and she's got that direct hotline to God. I think we all have that direct hotline to God if we just really understand that. And so God, I believe, wants to do something very special here tonight. I don't know exactly what. I mean, the Lord has shown me a couple things that maybe I'll share a little later. But I feel like God is saying, are you open? Are you ready? Are you ready? And God is going to do something really awesome tonight. Amen. Thanks, Kim. All right. Thanks, girls. Appreciate it. Look, we're going to look at two passages tonight. Matthew chapter 24 and Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to go. In uh, Matthew 24, verse 3, uh, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately Tell us, he said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? I want to stop there for a second. How many of you uh, are threatened or feel like you want to do what apparently Josiah has done, and that is get rid of Facebook? How many are tired of your inbox being full of every video of every conspiracy theory going on right now? And it seems like what we get right now is this question. What is the sign of the end? So uh, we were talking at lunch with Victoria and Josiah. And I was reminding them how in the Voice of Healing days, you all remember what the Voice of Healing days in the 1940s and 50s, and the great healing evangelists, Oral Roberts and others, they were crisscrossed America, and there were signs and wonders and miracles. The main message that was preached, other than Jesus, Savior, Healer, Baptizer, was he is soon coming king. And so there was the message of the rapture, the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe in the rapture. 
I know it's not in vogue in certain circles to believe that Jesus is coming again, that somehow we're going to perfect the earth and to kind of hand it over to him. But if I understand Scripture right, Jesus is coming one day to take his people home, and the Scripture says this. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for a beaten-up church that is hiding from the Antichrist. He's coming back for a victorious church without spot or wrinkle. Now, when I was a teenager, me and one of the girls, not a girlfriend, but just a friend, in the youth group, our nickname in the youth group was Spot and Wrinkle, you know, really building us up. We were the spot and the wrinkle in the body. But you know what? Um, growing older, you know what I've found spots and wrinkles are? They're signs of old age. When Jesus returns, he's not turning for an old, decrepit church that's lost its reproductive capability. When Jesus returns, regardless of our physical age, he's coming back for a church that's full of the life and the youthfulness, if you will, the zeal of the Lord, and we're going to re be reproducing souls into the kingdom of God. But growing up, we were taught a lot about the end times and the return of Jesus Christ. 1960s and 70s, when we were children and teenagers, there was a book that became very popular called The Late Great Planet Earth by an author named Hal Lindsey. Billy Graham's ministry released some uh, movies called Thief in the Night. And those books and those movies were used to scare a lot of people into conversion. Now, I'm not a, I was a street preacher for years. And I'm, not a, I'm honestly not opposed to using a little fear of eternal punishment to motivate people to make a decision. The thing is, in discipleship, they've got to come back to a relationship based on love and not fear. But the fear of the Lord will compel us, not just to get saved, but to go and reach the lost. But so much of what happened in our childhood, it never left fear. The end times was the story of the Antichrist. But, you know, uh, we were singing some song tonight. I, I don't think I heard before, but somebody, I want to know a story or want to be part of your story. Think of the, the word history. It's his story. <laughs> the end of the matter is his story or his glory. But the way it was presented to us almost as if the end times was all about the Antichrist and being afraid. Well, I remember coming home. Some of you that are older, maybe you remember this. You'd come home from school and mom wasn't around, dad wasn't around, and you thought you'd miss the rapture. <laughs> I may have told you this one time before, but um, as a little nine-year-old boy, I was raised in the Baptist church. I was about nine years old. And I went to a Baptist kids camp in Virginia, and whoever set this campground up, they just weren't right in the head. They built the boys' dorms over here, the bathrooms and showers were here, and in the middle was a graveyard. So in the middle of the night, if we had to go to the bathroom, we had to walk through a cemetery to get there. But our counselor was even worse. His devotions to us each night was out of the book of Revelation. See, has a bunch of 8, 9, 10-year-old boys, and he's reading to us out of the book of Revelation every night. You know, 666 and getting your head cut off and all this other stuff. And one night, he read this to us, and then he slept in the room next to us, a door separating. He turned off our light, shut his door, and said, Good night. This joker waited about 10 minutes, snuck around to the window next to our bunk beds, started banging on the window, shouting, but we, we thought the Antichrist had come to get us. We didn't need the bathrooms that night. You <laughs> scared something out of us, right? Okay. What's the name of the last book of the Bible? 
Okay, that's only part of the name. Does anybody know what the full name of the last book of the Bible is? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the final book of the Bible, the final end of all things, is not about the Antichrist. I don't give a rip if the Antichrist is alive on planet Earth today because I know Jesus is alive. And throughout our lifetime, everybody and their brother is thought to be the Antichrist. And everybody goes into all of these different things to try to figure out the number of their name. And we try to put so many different things, you know, and depending on what political party's in power, the one leading that party, the president, every year is called the Antichrist. Um, and I, I remember in 1988, there was a, a guy uh, named Edgar Wisnott. He wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 1988. And it was all over the place. People were convinced Jesus was going to come back. Well, it didn't happen. He had it set for, you know, Day of Atonement because that's always the day that something happens. <laughs> come on, smile at me. I get a little tired of people forcing numbers to mean something when they don't always mean something. Um, and they call it prophetic, but anyway. Um, so when it didn't happen in 88, he, he wrote another book. He missed it by a year, and it was going to happen in 89. You all have seen this, Y2K and 9-11, everything else. Well, now it's because of Bill Gates and a, a, a vaccine that's going to be full of nanobots and you're going to accidentally get the mark of the beast. Do you believe there are people idiotic enough to believe that? Did anybody get the toes stepped on just then? Do we really think our loving Heavenly Father is going to let you accidentally take the mark of the beast? Come on, Christians. God gave you something up here. It's called a brain. I'm not meaning to be insulting, but I am amazed at the low level of wisdom and discernment and intelligence in the body of Christ today. And so people are running around. Look, I have my political persuasions and leanings, and they're just like your pastor. But understand that the future is not determined by George Soros, Bill Gates, or an election. You and I, with Jesus Christ demonstrated through us in the power of the Spirit, we are the ones that set the agenda. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's a, a blessing that comes on the people of God for obedience. And it said you will be the head and not the tail. That doesn't mean you're going to have a bank account full of money. Sure, God will bless you. But being the head means that we don't follow the world. We lead as God leads us, and the world should follow us as we follow Christ. So, again, there's a lot of talk, you know, what are the signs of the end and your soon return. And, and can, can I say this? I love America. I love being an American, but I've been in six continents and over 40 nations. I've been in places where people are killed for serving Christ, where they're tortured for serving Christ. And then we wimpy, cowardly, soft-bellied, fearful American Christians have to wear a mask to go to Walmart, and we automatically think Jesus is coming. Grow a backbone. I might say something else as I was in a men's meeting. Anyway, grow a backbone. We have become, you know, the Bible says this, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus. 
I'm not denying things are very difficult and in a very serious moment in our nation's history. I don't deny that at all. But no matter what happens with America, the church is going to grow and build and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I want his kingdom to come in my nation as it is on earth. So I believe in that. Please don't misunderstand that part. But Christians, we don't put our hope in what happens in the next few months. And if I can be bold enough to say a few things, it's time the prophetic movement in America grow up and quit trying to battle one another and just get Facebook likes. We were prophesied it was going to be over by Passover, and you can explain it all the way. I heard, I heard the other day, apparently it's Passover next year. Have I missed it before? Yes, I have. I'm not trying to bring a disrepute on any prophet. But the day has come. We've got to quit having prognosticators trying to predict elections when the job of the prophet is to declare Jesus, not elections. Sure, God's going to show prophets what God is doing. But I don't think God sent the pandemic. I don't think God started the riots. God's working through no matter what the enemy and the world and the flesh are doing to bring a church that looks like Jesus forward. So what does Jesus say to them? What are the signs of the end and your soon return? Jesus said, watch out, no one deceives you. You see, there are a lot of Christians, they're not walking in truth because they spend so much time following down the rabbit trail, the rabbit hole of every conspiracy theory out there. Do I believe some of them are true? They might be. Satan is the master conspirator. Does he have people he's trying to use to further uh, bringing the world to the place of an antichrist, an antichrist? I'm sure he is. So I'm not denying that some of the conspiracy theories might even be true. But is that where I put my focus? You know what? probably people in Germany in World War II that had conspiracy theory of this man named Hitler. And some of them paid attention. But understand, that's not where our focus is. It's on Jesus. He said, be careful, no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Uh, in, in one version it says, I am the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. I don't, mean, I don't believe this means just people coming saying, guess what, I'm Jesus Christ coming to flesh. I believe this means there will be many voices saying, follow me. I have the power or the anointing for the future. I don't know if you've ever seen it that way. This is not just somebody claiming to be Jesus. I believe it is charismatic voices anointed by the, the very powers of hell to draw people astray. It says many false Christs false prophets. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Guess what? If you study the history of the world, there have been dark times through all of human history. It is not just darker now than it's ever been in the history of mankind. Study it out and don't so easily get discouraged just because of the trial of the moment. There's been debauchery and, and, and just horrendous violence throughout the, the, the time of man on earth. Anyway, it says nation will rise against nation. You know the word there in Greek is actually the word ethnos. This is not saying geopolitical nation will rise against geopolitical nation. It's saying ethnos, ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. Do you know that, that uh, racial um, uh, uh, inequity and, and, and turmoil is not new to 2020 America? 
where we live in Hampton, Virginia, um, is where the first slaves from Africa were brought. That's about a 15-minute drive from our house where the first slaves were brought from Africa. The first slaughter of Native Americans happened on, in our city. Uh, Hampton University, where one of the main uh, black schools in America, universities, there's a tree there called the Emancipation Tree where the Emancipation Proclamation was read when it was first written. We live in the area where colonial America started and where the, the, uh, the um, uh, dedication to the Lord but also some of the initial sins of the founding of America happened. And over the last three decades, everybody and their brother you can think of in the prophetic and the intercessory movement have been to our city, many of them to our old apostolic church, and we would go out and we would repent. We'd do identification repentance. We'd have the black and the white and the, the, uh, the native and the Vietnamese because the military area in Vietnam. And, and we had all this and we prayed, repented. We prayed. We washed each other's feet. We blew shofars. We waved banners. We dug things into the ground to claim the ground cleanse the ground. We even got a, you know, a, a big kettle that slaves used to pray under so they wouldn't be heard by their masters and beaten for it. And we got the kettle and we prayed under it. We've done all of these things and I believe in them, but guess what? For all of our noise, all of our praying, all of our decrees and declarations, we've gone backward. So I guess the question is, if all of our prayers and declarations and decrees have not changed anything, what more do we need? You see, that's not safe to say that in a lot of prophetic churches. Because I think if we just shout louder and prophesy a little bit harder, that everything will change. Please don't, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying, proclaiming, prophesying. But I'm saying that's only half the job. We've got to start living like Jesus in the world around us. It's not enough to have a prophetic meeting and make a declaration. It's not enough to dig something into the ground and cleanse the ground. We have got to live the life of Jesus among the people that we encounter. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. I believe it's not only natural kingdoms, but the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. It says... There will be famines, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You know what? I hate wearing masks, but nobody's threatened to shoot me uh, for wearing a mask because I believe in Jesus. That's not persecution. Yeah, I understand they're trying to shut down the gospel. I understand there are those on the far left trying to do that. That is a dimension of persecution. But don't be such a crybaby. You think because you throw a mask on, somehow you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Smile. <laughs> Prophetic ministry isn't just giving you a nice little word. It's speaking truth. There will be famous earthquakes, etc. Then you'll be handed over, per persecuted, put to death. Then you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Guess what? If we live for Christ, we're not going to be celebrated everywhere we go. The nation may never celebrate us, but the nation can be saved because of us. Jesus through us. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Do you hear this? I, the, the 350 faith, faith leaders, faith leaders, just endorsed the Democratic ticket for president. And the, the horrendous, many will lose their faith. There will be an increase of wickedness. 
the increase of this, the love of most, not some, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, I want to stop there because this is what we've heard, the signs of the end time. Now, let me give you what I believe is one of the greatest signs of the end of time. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for witness to all people groups, and then the end will come. No matter how bad things get around us, the greatest sign is a church that is living in the spirit and taking the gospel of the kingdom of God to every people group that we encounter. So what's the greatest sign of the end times? It has nothing to do with famine, persecution, war. It has nothing to do with an election. The greatest sign of the end times is a church in glory. Living in glory and taking the glory of God to the nations of the earth. So what do I believe is the answer for a nation in turbulent times? It's a spirit-empowered church. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But let's face it, the way the church in America has been, the gates of hell have been beating us up. This is not just a church organization. It's not just a gathering together. It's not a denomination. It is the church of the living God that the gates of hell will not prevail against. Not only the strategies of the gates of hell will not prevail against us, but the uh, defenses of the gates of hell will not prevail when we leave the security of our nice little meeting and we go out to the very strongholds of Satan and the power of the Lord. We're not going to sit around being spectators. The church in America has made an audience and you are not called to be impressed with a performer in the pulpit. You are called to be equipped to be an army of God. And so the job of us, those of us that get to preach and minister and lead, is not to impress you with whatever gift God has given this donkey. You know, remember in Scripture God spoke to a donkey? Don't be impressed with the gifted donkey on the platform. Smile, that's okay. But be equipped because Sarasota doesn't care that we're here prophesying and preaching. But you're in their life. And you can bring the reality of the kingdom of God around you. Jesus lived in a time of Roman oppression, occupation. There was slavery. There was pure persecution. There was perversion. Read the Bible. I mean, the Bible would be R-rated. Most of you made it to a movie, at the least. There's a lot of garbage that went on, a lot of sin. But in the midst of turbulent times, in the midst of oppression and obsession and perversion and occupation and slavery, Jesus spoke a word of promise to the church, and it was not wait on the overthrow of the government. It was not wait on an election. In fact, this is a theory, but some scholars theorize the reason Judas betrayed Jesus was because he was trying to force Jesus' hand to arise against the government. Study it out sometime. Remember the disciples, they, they would constantly say, when are you going to overthrow Rome? They got upset. They got, a, they got uh, worried because Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom and they wanted a here and now practical expression. Change the government. Change our life. And so some feel that Judas was handing him over to authorities by his betrayal so that he would not be put to death, but he would arise and be king and conquer the natural enemy. You know that there are those well-meaning Christians 
that if they get the wrong kingdom in focus, the governments and kingdoms of the world, they will end up betraying the very Christ that they want to rule and reign. Judas didn't understand the kingdom. And I'm not going to try to take a lot of time to express and explain the kingdom. It's a vast subject. But the kingdom of God ultimately is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that means our homes, our cities, let's face it right now, our cities are not full of righteousness, peace, and joy. Where we live, we've had a few minor riots happen. Thankfully, not like some of the big cities. We were telling Josiah and Victoria, we have a drug house across the street from us right before we left. Uh, two rival gangs in the drug house across the street and two houses down. They had a fight with submachine guns, 64 bullet shells found in front of our house. The FBI busted the door down and raided them a couple, a couple weeks ago. But we're like, we live in a danger zone. There's all sorts of, we were 60% African American, I think, where we live, and there's been turmoil. <clears throat> but you know what? In the church, there needs to be a difference, and that is that we are one. That we love one another, not because of the color of our skin or, or these things, but because of Jesus. But in the midst of all of the turmoil, Jesus did not speak a lot about changing natural governments. But he did say this, wait in Jerusalem until I empower you to go forth and be world shakers. And that's where we come to Acts chapter 2. You know, in Acts chapter 2, there, there were over 500, before Acts chapter 2, there were over 500 that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And he gave this promise, wait, to over 500, but only 120 showed up. Please hear this. I think Brian preaches it. Others do. There is a remnant people arising. But it doesn't matter how few we may feel we are or how powerless we may feel that we are sometimes in the midst of the roar of, of I mean, you know, Brian talks about lions and roar. But you know what? There's a roaring lion called Satan who seeks whom we may devour. And there's a roar that's trying to intimidate Christians and conservatives from standing for truth today. And that's that intimidating roar of the enemy. But God is looking for people that will be empowered. So even if it's 120 out of 500, the power of the Spirit will cause us to become champions for God. So that 120 that came together in one accord in one place. Some pastors tell me the greatest miracle of Acts 2 was not the outpouring of the Spirit. It's 120 Christians in one room and nobody arguing. You know, Brian and Brandon have been married for 25 years. Oh, they're just babies. We've been married 36 years. And you know, in 36 years, I still can't get Kim to agree that I'm always right. But you know what? We can still be in unity even if we disagree. We don't have to agree on every issue. You know, you, you, there's so much stuff out there. I mean, people will argue on eschatology or the end times. They'll argue about, well, the Republicans don't do this. They don't care for the poor. They don't do this, that. And the others say, well, they do this. They're baby killers. And, and people argue about all these things, and there's truth on all sides. And, and everybody's arguing about all of this stuff. We'll argue about the style of worship. We'll argue about the length of service. We'll argue about whether it's proper to meet in person or online. If you meet in person, you don't care about people. You don't wear a mask. What's wrong with you? Don't you love people? You know, 
garbage and accuser of the brethren, but then those that want to wear a mask, those that want to watch online, what are you, full of fear? Come on, grow up. You know, Guys, we fight and fight and fight, and yeah, I know. But we fight all of these things. Coming together in unity doesn't mean you have to agree with all of my opinions. But it means we set aside the side issues for the kerygma or the core of the gospel. And when they came together in one accord, it says, and then of course they weren't just there for a little while. They were there for days crying out, praying, seeking God. You see, a prayer meeting, we want quick, instantaneous Christianity. I'll come to one prayer meeting one Tuesday night, and God better pour out a spirit, and I better get my miracle because I don't have time to come out for every Tuesday night for three months or six months. Anyway, they were, they were convinced that they were going to hold on. They were going to press in. Then suddenly, seemingly unexpected, well, not unexpected. They knew it was coming. They just knew when a sound came from heaven. It was the sound of a blowing, violent wind, and there was great noise. Well, we spirit-filled Pentecostals, charismatics, whatever we are, we would be satisfied with noise. We scream a little, holler a little, jump and shout, dance around, fall on the floor. We think, oh, we're in revival. But there's coming a breath of God that's going to disrupt the status quo of how we've established church. I love John the Baptist and Elijah, two of my favorite, other than Jesus, two of my favorite characters in Scripture, that prophetic anointing to confront the powers of, of, of hell and believe God for the miraculous from heaven. But John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he said, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love the message of repentance. He said that there's an ax being laid to the root of the tree. I love the ax of God going down to the deep places. But John didn't stop there. He also prophesied as a prophet, a transitional prophet to a new season, a new age, a new dispensation. He prophesied there's someone coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So, yes, we need to repent, but it's not done at repentance. We need to get full of the fire of God. And I believe we need to repent for the way we've done church, which, again, is an audience, not an army. So the wind of God blew and began to shake things up. I love the, the, the story in Scripture that talks about the wind of God in Ezekiel 37. I'm not going to take a long time to unpack that whole story. But you know when, when Ezekiel's taken to the Valley of Dry Bones? And, and here is what I believe. God is raising up a prophetic generation that will not be looking for the applause of man on the pulpits of conferences. But God's raising up a prophetic generation that will go to the graveyards of culture. They're not interested in a mailing list and a following. They're not interested in being able to be named. Well, they prophesied the election right. They missed it. They got it wrong. All of this stuff. I love, I listen to what the different prophets are saying, but can I tell you something? You can hear God as well. And so don't be jerked around because your favorite prophet missed it. And so far, all of them have missed dimensions of it. But God wants us to hear with clear ears. So Ezekiel was taken to a graveyard, and when he gets in front of the graveyard, he doesn't prophesy death. What is wrong with you, stupid bones? He said to the dead, dry bones, hope is coming. Life is coming. 
Look, we need to stand against sin. But until we love the nation, we can't prophesy life to the nation. Does that make sense? Some of us get so angry at the sin and the devastation and debauchery around us, we quit loving America. We quit loving our neighbor. When I was preaching on the streets in New York City with Teen Challenge in my 20s, we were doing an outdoor service, and um, the preacher was up here preaching on a little platform. A demonized woman came up to the front of the platform, and, and she began to uh, mock the crucifixion. She splayed herself out like Jesus on the cross. Then she just began to get really vulgar. It didn't take a lot of discernment to know she was demonized. And so about 50 of us gathered around her. There were 100 of us out street preaching. About 50 of us gathered around her. And I wasn't a leader. I was a 22, 23-year-old kid. Uh, sorry, kids. Yeah, adult. I was a young adult. Um, but anyway, I was, a, I was a 22, 23-year-old uh, guy out there. I wasn't a leader. I was just part of the team. And what happened is people were angry at the devil. They were getting in her face, and they were spitting and screaming. They were calling the devil names. They were pleading the blood of Jesus. They were yelling in tongues. And all of this going on, and I watched, and nothing happened. This woman kept getting in our faces and spitting and screaming and cursing us. And I'm thinking, what's going on? The name of Jesus is greater than the devil. Then the Lord asked me a question. Not for the benefit of anyone there. I wasn't a leader, but for my benefit. He said this, Russ, they're angry at the devil, but where's their love for the woman? You see, when I was younger, I'm not old yet, when I was younger, I loved truth, but I didn't love people that much. I used truth to beat people over the head. I'd scream and holler. I'd hear somebody cussing. I was, we, were, we had street preacher turnarounds. Somebody would say, GD, and we'd say, God's last name isn't that, but yours is going to be if you don't get saved, you know. You know, we had all the, you know, get right or get left, turn or burn. Look, I, I did it all. Back then, remember cores, the silver bullet cores? Silver bullet will put you six feet under. I mean, you know, just all of our street preacher turnarounds. But here's the thing. For all of our anger, at the devil, what motivates the power of God is love. How do I say this? You know what I've been praying about that drug house across the street? I pray, God, before I pray him out of our neighborhood, would you confront him with your love? I don't want to pray that. I want to pray, get him out, God. But I said, God, give them a chance. Give them a chance. May I ask, when's the last time you prayed for Biden, Pelosi, Hillary? I pray, God, if they don't respond, arise, O oh God, and scatter the enemy. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. I know how to pray that stuff too. I was reading in Isaiah 61 this afternoon. I remember what the girls were doing. We were in the, in the hotel room, and I was, I was reading Psalm 60, or Isaiah 61, and actually I was, I was praying for our nation, and it's where Jesus, or it's where Isaiah is quoting a messianic prophecy that Jesus read in Luke chapter 2, chapter 4, somewhere in there. But he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. But it says several things, and it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. 
I felt the Lord say, it's time for a prophetic church to arise and declare the day of his vengeance. But I'm praying, God, in wrath, remember mercy. Before you destroy the enemy, God, give him a chance. Can we love our nation enough? See, Ezekiel saw the dry bones, and instead of beating them up, he said, there's life, there's hope. Then the bones came together. There was a noise, a rattling sound. Bones came together. You know, the hip bone connected to the knee. Anyway. And then flesh and muscle came on the bones, but they were still dead. Ezekiel had to prophesy in a different dimension. He prophesied to the bones. Most prophetic services are full of everybody waiting to get their word. And I love personal prophecy. Please don't misunderstand that. But there comes a time when we're not just waiting for another prophecy to throw in our stack of prophetic promises that we're still not obeying. And we lift our voice to a different dimension of authority. And Ezekiel began to prophesy into the heavenly realm. We're no longer just giving each other words of hope, but we are prophesying with an authority. Come, ruach, breath of God, and breathe on these dead bones. You see, you can have miracles like Ezekiel saw before the breath and they were still corpses that were dead. There have been a lot of places with prophetic words and miracles, but still spiritually they're dead and not an army. But when the breath of God blew, they raised up on their feet as a vast army, Scripture says. So on the day of Pentecost, what is it that empowers us to be the church the gates of hell will not prevail against in the midst of a turbulent time? Number one, it's the breath of God being baptized again. Number two, it's the fire of God. The tongues of fire came and sat. What does fire represent? Several things. One is fresh passion. Love burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. I know we don't like to think of our parents like this, so Josiah, Victoria, cover your ears. You think maybe Brian and Brian are, he's getting all romantic. He's probably got some moves still, right? I had a friend that in college, he was a Puerto Rican evangelist. Back in the 80s, we had a phrase called Rico Suave. Anybody remember that? My friend, he had the skinny tie, he had the long pointy shoes, he had a red sports car. And I heard him on the phone one time with a girlfriend, and he was getting all Latin. He was like, oh, baby, you light my fire. I mean, it sounded like junior high school, but still, the guy was passionate. Have you ever seen a couple in public, they're so ooey-gooey romantic, they're embarrassing? Brian and I mean, so ooey-gooey romantic, they're embarrassing? Look, it's great to come in here and, oh, I love you, Jesus. But we have got to take it out there. Now, I don't mean you've got to act like a fool, but go out there and let people see the fire of passion inside of you and let God reignite that. I learned a prayer years ago from Mike Bickle. Back in the 80s, we were trained under all of that, you know, Kansas City prophets. And, and I remember Mike Bickle, he, he said this, Something along the line of, my heart isn't always running after God, but here's my prayer. God, if you'll draw me, I'll run after you. In other words, God, woo me. Let me hear the voice of the Spirit because we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And so when I say, draw me, woo me, call me, then my response will be, I'll run after you. That's the fresh fire of passion. What else does fire do? It purges and cleanses and purifies. 
And I don't have time to go into all the laundry list of things. The reality is every sin happening in the world is happening in some form or fashion in the church. And we see there have been exposures. Uh, one uh, well-known minister in Virginia just recently from a university just exposed. Another guy is big in end-time prophecy stuff, an author, exposed. And this is not the end of it. We're going to see exposure happening not out of anger, but God is going to have a pure, holy church. And he's giving these individuals, by exposure of their sin, opportunity for grace and mercy and forgiveness and restoration. So we're not angry. We're not throwing stones. We're not accusing the brothers. We're saying, draw them, O Lord. But there's a fire that's going to purify and sometimes we become self-righteous saying, well, I don't do that, I don't do that. But when we allow the seedbed of the same attitude of sin. One time I felt the Lord show me that uh, the, the uh, seedbed or the, the um, whatever, what I'm trying to get to, uh, the, the seedbed of racism. What is racism? There's a lot of other things. But one of the things is only liking, loving, and accepting somebody who's just like me. You know. Blonde, at least it used to be blonde before I started getting older. Blonde hair, blue eye. You know, and so those are the people that are God's chosen because they look like me. And the Lord spoke to me, I felt, and said it's the same spirit as behind denominationalism. I only like those just like me. And can I offend you, hopefully? It's the same spirit behind homosexuality. It's not the fullness of it. But one of the things that empowers homosexuality is the fear of those different and only liking or loving those like yourself. Understand, while we allow racism and division in the church of Jesus Christ, we will have no authority to speak to the ills of society. We've got to let God do intense surgery on the very attitudes of our heart. And the fire of God's going to purge and cleanse. But what else does the fire of God do? The fire of God propels us into tomorrow. Well, we live in Hampton, Virginia. We have NASA, you know, the space agency there. Of course, here in Florida, on the other coast, you have uh, uh, Cape Kennedy, Canaveral, where, where the space take off. Houston, you have mission control. In Hampton, we have uh, where they study and develop the next generation of space propulsion. So, I mean, we, our friends are rocket scientists, and they are pretty smart. Have you ever watched a rocket, not just a space shuttle, but the old-fashioned old rockets take off? A fire lights under that rocket that causes that rocket to break the pull of the world and begin to ascend. There's a fire of God in the church and on the church that's going to cause us to break free of the ways of thinking, the ways of talking of the world around us. And we're going to begin to ascend higher and higher in the Spirit of God. But remember these old-fashioned rockets, there were two or three stages. A fresh fire, well, a fire would let break it free, but it was still under the influence of gravity. So they had to throw off the old stage and a new fire lit. Guess what? God is demanding we throw off yesterday's stage, the methodologies and all the things we held on to in the past, and God is going to light a new fire that's going to cause us to break through and be propelled into that heavenly realm. So the fire of God will bring passion, purity, and uh, uh, what's the other word? Propelling. i got to think of another P word that's good there. That's, that's preacher think. And then finally, what happened on the day of Pentecost? They spoke in tongues. Two things I want to look at. These 120 
were among the followers of Jesus that during his time of being beaten, accused, and crucified, they kept their mouths shut like little cowards. The majority of us know how to open our mouth in here, preach, pray, and prophesy, and praise. But we become mute when we're out there among the world. You know, election pollsters are saying there are shy Trump voters out there that are going to show up on election day. I pray so. But can I tell you something? We Christians don't need to be shy about Jesus. Now look, you don't have to be some crazy street preacherish personality to speak the word of the Lord. When Kim and I were dating, I was a typical street preacher. Of course, by the way, now that I have a daughter, I don't believe in dating. I believe in courtship and every apostle. No, anyway. Um, when we were dating, I was a street preacher. And like a typical street preacher, I didn't think you were saved unless you were on the street corner preaching. You've been around people like that. And so Kim and I were dating, and I, I said something along this way of, you know, Kim, if this is real serious and we're supposed to, you know, get married, then you got to learn to street preach. See, Kim broke up with me twice when we were in Bible college. And catch this, God had to speak to her audibly twice to make her marry me. I've never heard God's audible voice in anyway. So I took Kim, we were 19 years old, and thought we were adults. And um, I took Kim to the, there's a zoo and a park about half a mile from a Bible college up in Springfield, Missouri. And so I took her down there, and there were two 19-year-old guys our age. They'd been drinking. And I said, Kim, you take him, I'm going to take him. She's like, what? Okay. Again, I've been preaching on the street since I was 15 years old. Carrying a 10-foot cross, preaching on the street corner, you know, L.A., you know, New York, all this stuff. And so Kim started talking to this one guy. And she's a Bible college graduate. She, you know, grew up in church. She knows she started from Adam and Eve and creation all the way to the return of Jesus. Told him everything. He's paying attention. She thinks, I'm getting through. She takes a breath. He grabs her and plants a big, wet, drunk kiss on her. It took away every desire she had to be a street preacher. Hear me. You don't have to have the personality of a preacher to speak the word of the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit will put his word in your mouth. And I want to say this. You have a revelation of Jesus that Sarasota needs to hear. I don't have it all. Brian, Bryn, don't have it all. We know in part, we prophesy in part. You have a revelation. You carry a dimension of the, of the revelation of heaven that the city needs, that the nation needs. Open your mouth. But then finally, when they opened their mouth, it was not with the words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power. Guys, we don't need to argue people into our way of thinking. Kim and I, our first anniversary, we were in Bible college living in Springfield, Missouri. I took her up to St. Louis, Missouri. There is a beautiful zoo there. And so we go into the zoo to spend a romantic day just looking at all the animals. <laughs> Real romance. Anyway, look at all the animals. 
We were poor Bible college students. Free zoo is about all we could afford. So we, we go, and as a walk-in, there's a, um, a, a Hare Krishna. Anybody remember Hare Krishna's? Wore the robes and the bald heads back before it was, you know, in vogue. I see some of you have, you know, you look cool with your bald, bald heads when you're young. Tougher than I probably could look. Um, I go in the Hare Krishna. He's got on his robe and his sandals and his belt and in a rope belt. And he's, you know, transcendental and he's peaceful. And I learned in my Colts class how to deconstruct his belief system. So I ended up in an hour and a half, our first anniversary, I ended up in an hour and a half long argument with the Hare Krishna. I completely deconstructed his whole belief system, and the Hare Krishna, instead of being in peace, he was yelling at me. Here's, here's what I learned. I won the argument, but I lost the soul. What it takes is not the wisdom of man's words. When you and I open our mouth, let God fill it and bring supernatural demonstration and revelation of Jesus Christ. Because when the world sees Jesus, Victoria said it as she was getting ready to turn the service to us, at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So tonight, I thank you. You have been generous with your attention. We had a wonderful hour plus worship time. We've had wonderful testimonies and I don't know how long I've preached. I'm not going to ask. But guys, it comes down to this. We can repent, but we need to be baptized of the Holy Spirit and fire. I believe the answer in our turbulent, troubled time, look, Regardless of whether you believe coronavirus came from a bat or whether it was engineered by somebody, the crowned virus, coronavirus, has got a bow to the crown of authority of Jesus. No matter what you believe about the fabricated um, riots, you know, whoever is putting behind. We believe all lives matter, black lives matter, all lives matter. We understand that, but we understand the organization is full of demonic stuff. It's the organization. But God values every life. We understand Antifa. We understand the, the powers of darkness that are out there. We understand the cabals of power and the deep state. We understand all of that. But ultimately, it's going to take a church arising in the spirit and power of Almighty God that bring a difference. See, I learned in the 1980s. I was at Washington for Jesus in 1980 as a 17-year-old when 500,000 of us gathered in America to pray. Second Chronicles 7:14. We repent. And many of us believe God gave us Ronald Reagan for one and for two things. Imperfect man, but a man at least we felt was uh, pushing forward a godly agenda and a constitutional agenda. But here's what happened in my opinion. The church won an election and then quit fighting the battle. And we thought that an election in Washington would change the soul of the nation. It did not happen, and it will not happen. I personally pray. I'm not going to prophesy because God hasn't shown me that, but I'm not in fear about the future. I even read all the prophecies in October, November, September, whatever, you know, taking you know, all the junk going around out there. What I know is this. I'm believing for great things and mercy on our nation. 
But no matter what happens in November, that won't change the soul of America. It's going to take you and I arising full of the Spirit of God. So tonight we're going to pray through the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. Stand to your feet if you would. Kim should kind of come join me. I asked Josiah and Victoria about ministry tonight. We've been in many churches over the last few weeks, some where everybody is six feet apart. We can't get in front of anybody, can't touch anybody, and that's okay. We bless them where they're at. But how many of you know, even though we're not doing that here tonight, and you haven't been doing that, how many of you know it's not our hand, it's his hand? It's not our prophecy, though God can speak through us. It's you hearing the voice of the Lord. So we're going to come as one. And we're going to ask for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Can I tell you something? You are not a second-class Christian. You are a first-class, beloved child of God. And you know what Daddy at Heaven has? He has a gift. And he wants you to unwrap that gift of the Holy Spirit and the baptism and the fullness of His Spirit, including that gift, that wonderful language of communicating with the Lord, of speaking in other tongues. But maybe you speak in tongues for an hour every day. You still need a fresh baptism in fire. Acts chapter 4 is after the day of Pentecost. But the place they were gathered shook and they were filled with the Spirit of God and spake the Word of God with boldness. But what we're going to do is this. In a moment, we're going to come. And we're, I, I'm going to ask in just a moment that we come and do what you are comfortable with. All right? There's no condemnation. If you want to stay in your seat because you want to be crowded around people, it's okay because God honors you, we honor you, and the Holy Spirit will fill you. But those that feel comfortable in a moment, I'm going to ask us to come. And we're going to stand in these altars and we're going to cry out for a baptism of fire. A baptism of the Spirit of God from above. If you've never spoken in tongues, can I guarantee you something? God's not going to grab your tongue and move it for you. You have to open your mouth. And how many of you want the real thing? So guess what? You don't have to be afraid that you're going to make something up because you want the genuine. So put off the lie. Well, if I say something, well, how do I know it's not me? Well, it is you. But God's the one putting the words in your mouth. So we put aside fear. Put aside worry about all that. Maybe you've been prayed for the baptism of the Spirit 20 times, and it's never happened. Guess what? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. But we're after more than just a language in the Spirit, as awesome as that is. As it is, we want the empowering of the Spirit. Be the frontline army of God. So would you, that are comfortable, would you come out of your seats and stand across this altar area with me? Come. Again, as you're comfortable, no condemnation. You can stay where you're at, and we're going to pray for you just right where we're at. We're not going to get in your face. We're not going to breathe on you and blow on you. Look, I used to blow on people like Benny Hinn. I won't do that for you, okay? So be, be <laughs> I play, okay? We're going to ask for a fire of God to come upon us. After we pray corporately, we'll, we'll minister individually if God gives us something. So, Kim, Shekinah, before we pray here, anything in particular that has to do with what we're doing now?
Would you all lift your hands to the Lord for a moment? I want you to envision for a moment your heavenly Father. Envision Daddy in heaven giving you a gift. Maybe it's a beautiful gift wrap box. Maybe it is a gift bag stuffed full of colorful tissue paper. But I want you to imagine Daddy giving you a gift as his son or daughter. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the fullness and the baptism. You have the Holy Spirit living in you as a believer in Jesus. But God is wanting, Daddy is wanting to fill you to overflowing and empower you. So I want you to envision, if you will, Daddy handing you, his little boy, his little girl, a gift wrap box. And you say, thank you, Daddy. And then you begin like a little child, not to just nicely and neatly pull a bow open, but you rip into that package because you're desperate to see what Daddy has for you. I want you to see that, if you will, in your spirit. And as you begin to tear at the beautiful wrapping, you see in there a treasure. And that is the treasure of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's a breath of life. It is a fire of purpose and passion in your life again. It is the gifting of God that you, as a believer, will speak in tongues. You'll cast out devils. You'll lay hands on the sick. I want you to envision the gift that Daddy is giving you. And then you say, not only thank you, Daddy, but then you take that gift and you begin to put it into practice. That is when in just a moment we're going to open our mouths and we are going to begin to speak in the language of the Spirit. If you already have a tongues prayer language, in a moment I'm going to ask you to lift your voice and begin to pray in the Spirit. If you've not yet received that breakthrough, again, Daddy has that same gift for you and that tongues is a sign that you you are receiving the fullness of the gifting of the Holy Spirit in your life. So with hands lifted for a moment, I want you in your own way to ask Daddy in heaven, ask your heavenly Father for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Express it yourself. I can't ask Daddy for you. You ask Daddy in heaven. So Daddy God, Heavenly Father, you have purposed and promised to send the Holy Spirit baptism and outpouring to empower your church. You've told us to wait, to not go forward doing the work of the kingdom without the power power of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would fill us to overflowing. Lord, I may have spoken in tongues since I was nine years old, but I need more. I need more of your presence, more of your power. I need to surrender more. I need more breath of God in my life to bring me alive, to, Lord, cause me to arise as a soldier in the army of God. I need more fire. Lord, I need more passion. Baptize me with passion again. May I fall in love with Jesus all over again. May I see the beauty and loveliness of his face and may, may I be enraptured and captured by the beauty of the Lord so much so that I pour out my heart to you. So cause the fire of passion to alight within us, oh God. God, may the fire of purity, God, come and purify down to the very motives of my heart. May the word of God
God, separate soul and spirit. And Lord, bring purity inside of me, oh God. Holiness, obedience, purity, where I run after. I don't run from godliness, but I run after righteousness, oh God. And Lord, fill me with the boldness to open my mouth and speak. And God, may I not declare my opinion in the man's of Lord's wisdom, but may we be empowered to speak the word of the Lord. God, we pray from the, in our own home across the street, God, all the way to the White House and throughout the nations of the earth, may you empower your people to speak the word of God. So Lord, fill me. Fill me again. Fill me again. And now we thank you, Daddy. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are giving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want you to do, please. Open your mouth, and I want you to begin to praise him. If you have a prayer language of the Spirit, would you begin to pray in the Spirit? And as you do, let a fresh fire, a fresh filling, a fresh baptism take upon us. Let God shake us to the very foundations of our being with the fire of the Holy Ghost. And if you've not yet received that fullness, open your mouth and begin to speak. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Satan will not be able to deceive you in this. God is watching over you. You will not come up with a fake. So open your mouth and begin to speak. Oh, let there come a roar of praise. Come on, guys. Open your mouths and let there be a roar of the praise in the spirit language. Languages of men and angels. Fire. God, let there be a fresh baptism of fire, of wind, of power, oh God. Empower your church. Empower your church. God, throughout America, pour out your Holy Spirit on this weekend that, God, you would raise up a spirit-empowered church as the answer for a turbulent nation, oh God. Go ahead and just keep letting the praises of God bubble up from within. His well, His Spirit is like a well that bubbles up out of your innermost being and belly will flow rivers of living water. Do something with me as you continue to praise. Lay hands on your own belly. Lay hands on your own stomach. In the scripture, the stomach, the belly was the seed of the soul, not the heart, but the belly. So God, out of the innermost part of our belly, Lord, as we as a prophetic act of faith, lay hands on our belly. Stir up, stir up, bubble up, bubble up. Bubble up, Spirit of God, like a flowing river, like a flowing river, oh God. It is that same bubbling that causes you to prophesy. So, Lord, we prophesy life to America. We prophesy life to Sarasota. We prophesy life 
to our own families, our own circumstances. We prophesy life and not death. We declare that our families, our city, and our nation will not be decimated. We will not fall under the attack of the enemy. We say, God, arise and let your enemies be scattered. God, we pray for a revelation of the favor and the love and the grace and the mercy of God, even to the most vile sinner, even to the most vile opponent of the cross. God, we pray that you would reveal Jesus, even to the most uh, deep state leader. God, let the mercy and grace and revelation of God be released to them. But God, if they will not repent, then God, we declare and proclaim the day of your vengeance. Arise, O God, and let the enemy destroy themselves. Arise, O God, and let righteousness crowd our land again. Let the kingdom of God of righteousness, peace, and joy be released through our families, through our cities, through the church, through our nation, and the nations of the earth, through a spirit-filled church. One more time, lift a voice of praise in your tongue's language. Baptism of fire, of wind, of tongues. Bubble up spirit of prophecy. Bubble up spirit of God. In a moment, we're going to move into personal ministry. But I, I don't know if I've really done this before in a, in a, in a full church setting. Sometimes, and if you've been filled with the Spirit for a while, if you've spoken in tongues for a while, I don't know if you've ever noticed that sometimes when you shift from praise to warfare, there's a difference in your language. It may be different words. It may be just a different authority. You don't have to make anything up. You don't have to force anything. But I want us to be aware the language of the Spirit is not just the same old retime my bow tie, she wrote a Honda that we've done all of our lives. And I'm not mocking I'm trying to be real. God wants to give you multiple languages of the Spirit because each one may serve different purposes. And I don't have chapter and verse to, to prove that, okay? So don't accuse me of false doctrine. What I'm saying is, let's allow the Holy Spirit to grow our language. So I want you with me for about 30 seconds to one minute. I want us to go into warfare tongues. You may say, hey, Russ, I'm not even speaking in tongues yet. Guess what? God can still pray through you in the Spirit prophetically. As we're praying, God may release that language of the Spirit. Let Him do it. If you haven't received yet, guess what? He still is a good Father giving you good gifts. And it may happen tonight. It may happen tomorrow. But you keep opening the gift of God and putting it into practice. But I want you... Y'all have heard of the teaching, the seven mountains, the different parts of culture. What is, what is the main area of burden in your life? What do you want to see happen? I'm going to have you war over that. 
Are you praying for government? Are you praying for business? Are you praying for the church? What is the main area of burden God's put in you? I want you to close your eyes with me. Not because it's spiritual, it just helps keep out distraction. I want you to get one thing from the Spirit of God He wants you to war over. And here's what I do for 30 seconds to one minute. I want you to begin to speak in tongues. Start with your normal prayer language. But then what I want you to do is allow warfare. It doesn't have to be loud, though it may be loud. It doesn't have to be harsh, though it may be harsh. But I'm going to ask you to let your devotional language turn into the language of warfare in the Spirit. I know I can't explain it quickly in 30 seconds. But would you take that burden before the Lord? Now lift your hands with you if you desire your voice. I don't want you to begin to pray in the Spirit specifically for that area of burden. So God, we bring before you the burden you've placed upon our heart for this moment of time. And Lord, the area of culture you're wanting us to influence primarily for the kingdom of God. And Lord, we begin to pray in the Spirit. Our mind may not understand, but our spirit is praying in alignment with what our mind is thinking. God put a war cry in our mouths and put the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah in your people, O oh God, that as we roar with the voice of the lion, the enemy will run and cower in fear for your church is arising the spirit filled church is arising and we will see the kingdom of God righteousness, peace, joy and the Holy Ghost established in our land in our churches and in our families for the honor and the glory of the name above all names Father, we thank you. We thank you. Kim, Shekinah, we're going to do just a little bit of personal ministry as God directs. So however you feel, amen. I'm not even quite sure what this means, but during my little nap before we came here today, the Lord gave me a dream. And I don't even quite know what this means. I saw like waves that were that were really kind of up a little bit. And as I looked in the waves, all of a sudden on the little waves, I saw a J and an O and an H and an N. So the name John. And I saw this refuge or this refuse, the trash from the wreck, I guess, the wreck. It was floating on the waves. And the Lord says this, it is time to take your eyes off of the floating trash from that wreck. The Lord says there are new lands, new lands I'm taking you to. There are new places I'm taking you to. Get your eyes off of the aftermath of the wreck and know that I'm taking you some places. Lift up your eyes and the Lord said ahoy ahoy look and see the new lands okay does does anybody have a 
an application. Either you're John or there's somebody that you know, a John, that there's been a shipwreck of some kind. They've been distracted by all the junk, but God is wanting to renew a sense of vision and purpose. Does that make sense to anybody? Going once. Going twice. What's that? He's not even saved. Does, okay, so does the, um, does the shipwreck of life, though, John, somebody you have son-in-law. How many of you know? And see, sometimes when you have a, a dream, a vision, you automatically assume, well, maybe they're saved and going through stuff. How many of you know that many times it's in the shipwrecks of life that we come to Christ? Kim, would you pray here that John wants to, God wants to take that shipwreck that causes him to look at just what could have been, should have been. God wants to bring the fullness of him. And Lord Jesus, I saw the name spelled out in those choppy waves, Lord, after the wreck. And Lord Jesus, for this John right now, we stand as we've been warfaring, Lord Jesus, even over these last few minutes, Lord, we war for John right now, Lord. I don't think you just show these kind of dreams because you just think, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that, isn't that something else? But the Lord says this, I have a purpose and a plan for John. And he has tried to run, actually, and he's found himself shipwrecked. He's found all the things that he's tried. It just kind of shatters into pieces, and it's floating on the waves in just pieces. And the Lord says, this is his time. I am saying it is time to look up, not down any longer, John. It is time to have John look up, not down at the trash in the water. The Lord says it is time to see that there is a plan and a purpose that goes so far beyond whatever he thought was going to be of his life. The Lord says, I have my name on his name right now. John, J-O-H-N, John, run to me, look up, not down any longer. I saw John, and he was in this really weird place. He was in a place that he didn't quite feel like he belonged, but he wanted to stay in this place. And he felt an impression, but he just would not allow himself to go. And I saw as Jesus, he started opening all sorts of doors, all sorts of ways that he can leave, all of these doors, these exit doors, these exit windows, and he would just not budge. But then I saw as he just felt drawn to those doors, and so he kept, um, he kept going to those doors, and suddenly he exited in that door that the Lord opened for him. And he looked around, and there was a peace that flowed over him that he didn't even know existed before then. Stretch your hands toward them, and we pray for the son-in-law, John. God, we thank you that though the enemy has meant to destroy, God, you are making every possible way of exit. It's, it's, it's almost funny. It's like the Lord says, I will not give him rest until he exits, until he escapes. And, and that's that multiple exits. God, we thank you. Surround him with people that irritate him to the point of surrender, oh God. And protect all of the family, that they will not be victimized by this season. 
but they will all come in the wholeness in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Praise God. Kim, Shekinah, anything else? Would you all just lift your hands to the Lord for a second? Thank you for pressing in with us. You know that we love personal prophetic ministry, but not every service is for all of that. Kim, what's your kind of name? Victoria, can you come up here for a sec? <laughs> so I had a word for you. Actually, from the beginning of service, I saw this, and it almost attacked me, if that's even the right word, and I started crying for you. So I saw you, and you were walking into this very dark place, this dark area. And this area, I don't know what it was, but it was very, very cold and dark. And I saw as everyone around you that started to go with you to this dark area, they got frightened and they ran away. But you, you kept your head up high. And I saw as you walked to this dark area, and then you got up some paintbrushes. And you started painting light and color into this dark area. And I saw as these people around you in this dark area, they saw what you painted. And at first, they were mad. They were really, really mad at you. And they were trying to get you to say that the Lord is a false God. But you would not budge. And you just kept painting. Then I saw as after you painted all of those walls in that dark area, you turned around and you started to leave. As you started to leave, one of the people, they grabbed you and they said that, you know, what you did was amazing. And then you started to look around at all of these people. And these people, they were looking at these colors you had painted into their lives. And they decided to get down on their knees. They fell down on their knees and they started repenting and crying out to the Lord and they saw Jesus in a whole new light. And I also don't know if it has anything to do with the natural either. I know it has a spiritual effect, but I don't know if God might be wanting you to start painting prophetically for him too. Stretch your hands toward Victoria. In fact, let me ask this, um, not just to them. You know, I was talking about Ezekiel going to a graveyard. We know we're all called to take life. If you feel, though, that God has called you to a very specific cultural graveyard to speak prophetically, I'm not saying you have to be a prophet, but you feel there's a very specific cultural graveyard God has called you to, just wave at me. Okay, lift the other hand as you would. Even if we don't lay hands on you right now, we're going to pray. And, and, Victoria, part of this is, is this. You've learned how to uh, war against darkness and raise your voice. The Lord says, daughter, but part of the weapons I'm putting in you is to bring beauty where there's darkness. And there are a lot of people who don't understand spiritual warfare. It's not just screaming and hollering and putting the devil under our feet. It's bringing light and life. And God says, daughter, that's going to explode, blossom inside of you. I don't know that it's physical uh, art and stuff or not, but it's the beauty of the Lord. It's what we were talking about earlier. It is not just bringing down the enemy. It is bringing the life of God. And you're going to see that even when others are not necessarily on board at the first. So God, especially for those that have hands lifted, God, you're raising up a prophetic generation that will not be looking for the platforms of 
of personality and performance. But God, they will go to the graveyards of culture and they will not just bring destruction and defeat but they will speak life. So God, for each one of these men and women and young people in this house, and God, for this family itself, God, that they will be ambassadors of life. May they be prophets of life to the most deep, dark graveyards of our culture. God, send them. God, from Brian going to D.C. to all the other expressions, may this house, this family, be, Lord, a, be a, a word of life, a voice of life into the midst of the graveyards. So, Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Anything else real quick, girls? Lift your hands to the Lord with me one more time. Thank you all so much. God, here we are. Lord, our pastors, our spiritual mom and dad, Lord, have been celebrating some of it being gone from us physically. Thank you for Brian and Bryn. Lord, we do not expect perfection from them because no one but you is perfect. God, we cover them with our love. We cover them with our prayers. God, we silence every lie of the enemy that would cause any kind of doubt or discouragement or any kind of distraction, oh God. We pray that this next season, Lord, of marriage, of ministry, Lord, of mandate, God would be full of the explosions of the kingdom of God. God, health, provision, authority, anointing, favor, oh God, and vengeance against their enemies. God, upon not only Brian and Bram, but Lord, this house, this family, may it be a season of the favor of the Lord. Now, God, we pray that you seal the word and work, not only tonight, but God, this last month, where various voices have spoken. That, Lord, there would be a thread of the Holy Spirit that God, when Brian and Brent come back and keep them safe as they travel, but, Lord, as they come back, may they in the next few weeks weave together what you have been saying even over this last month. God, we honor you. We glorify you. For you alone are worthy. In the name of Jesus, would you just clap your hands and praise to Jesus Amen. Guys, it is always an honor to be with you. You've stuck with us, and I appreciate it so much. And please understand this. God speaks at all times in his word, many times by his spirit. So press into God with everything you have. And who knows, if we get a chance to hang out in Florida, we might see you guys uh, sometime a bit later. Does any of the leaders need to share anything before we go? Are we able to well, look? God bless you. Be blessed. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com or download the Victory FLA app.